Hello and welcome to episode 185 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. With me on the line is the number one horn dog, Stanislav Golovchuk. Well, I didn't approve this. <laughs> 100% approved. Number one horn dog, big dog, Stanislav, the Rhine boy himself. Stanislav, I heard you 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 won all of the NRG in Chicago. You heard wrong, dude. You did you did so well they just automatically qualified you to win the entire invitational. Oh, that much is true. Yes. Yeah. My con- my connections to Norm finally paid off. Yeah, do you think that what if we what if any of us did win? Could we not win? No, oh, we can of course, win. Of course we, we can win. I mean, I mean whoa, 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 wait. We cannot, but right. we could. <laughs> but we could. <laughs> Legally and ethically, it would be okay for us to win. However, Stanislav, you uh, you killed it this weekend. I don't I don't want to say anything about myself. I don't want to talk all about you. Well, I want to talk all about our other co-host, and that's the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Hey, Dave. Hey, everybody. It's so nice to see so many smiling faces, or not? Well, smiling eyes, I guess, because people were masked up responsibly still at this tournament. But it was nice to see so many people in the two hours that I was there. I think I met like ten people who wanted to talk to us. Yeah. Wow, those Chicago people love us, apparently. Yeah, I did not read the fine print ahead of the NRG trial. I didn't realize it was a mask-required tournament. Grateful that it was, but I showed up maskless. And I see Dave before round one, and he's like, hey, man, you got to put a mask on. And I was like, oh, crud, I hope I can find one. And he's like, don't worry, I got a KN95 for you right here. And my ears still hurt. Dave, what size masks do you wear? Because they were tight on my big head. K. Does that mean kids? (laughs) No. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means, but that's uh, that's what it is. And I guarantee I wear a bigger hat than you, Stan, so get over it. My ears hurt. <laughs> I'm safe at a large gathering. Stan, I gave you not one mask, too. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's true. I wear them both at different Good. intervals, not at the same time. No, I, 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 I do hate when my ears hurt. That is a pain. That's yeah. why sometimes sometimes I just go for the full end, because it has the over-the-head straps, you know, and it's it's more muffling, but more comfortable. Stan, do you know what size hat you wear? What size hat do you wear in a fitted fitted cap? I've never worn a fitted cap. I don't believe in them. What? You don't have, like, a sick fitted? Nice flap rim? I don't, no. Whoa. Here comes our next, next merch opportunity. It's a fitted hat, but it only comes in Stan's hat size. <laughs> it comes in seven and five eighths for me and David. I think it's going to take about nine months to get here from overseas manufacturing. So line up if you want a hat now, and you'll get it sometime next uh, March. My mother-in-law has a cry cut, or is it cricket? We could do, we could do some, we could do all kind of cool embroideries. She's one of those like fancy embroidery things. Lovely. Mm. Yeah, let's just do a limited run. Today we're going to take a fun-filled recap of the weekend at the Energy Chicago series. We're really talking about the main event that happened on Saturday with the results of the top eight that concluded on Sunday morning. This was a modern 10K. It was an RCQ. And we got the data. Shane normalized. He he burnt a lot of CDs, normalized them, <laughs> authenticated. I burned and verified them. Yeah. yeah. Checked all the sectors. Were there any bad sectors? Oh, man. We have some bad sectors to talk about. You know who you are. Oh, yeah. Mono Blue Yogmoth. Someone, Stan, <laughs> just as a preview of the Hall of Shame, where someone submitted a deck under the name Mono Blue Yogmoth. We shouldn't acknowledge them. You know what I mean? Like, don't give them the satisfaction. We are going to give the satisfaction to the room itself, though. We're going to talk about what the meta looked like, most popular decks, what were the overperformers and underperformers among the top players in the metagame. 
Uh, and most importantly, I'm going to provide my own tournament report because I played all nine rounds and I had a lot of fun. Great. Perfect. I love this episode. Before all that, though, I am so excited to housekeep because today we have seven new patrons. Seven new citizens. Unbelievable. We have Spencer J, Eli O, Dustin R, Trenton F, Brandon L, Fyodor, and Jack T. Amazing. I believe that we met at least three of the people on this list at the energy tournament. Is that right? That's right, right? I, I can only confirm that we met Jack T. Oh, so I, I, I definitely I'll met ta- a couple of the other people. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, take your, I'll take your word for it. We did. With a Fyodor and from overseas. Yeah, I mean, I will say, though, like, all you wannabe podcasters out there, if you want to convert listeners into patrons, you got to make it to these tournaments. Our, our conversion <laughs> rate is pretty high. Did you, did you like lord the deck box over them? You're like, look, we'll give you the deck box, but you got to be a patron. Does it so, count no, as lording if I was just handing them out to anyone who said hello and was nice? So, yeah, so you weren't, it wasn't even, it looks like you handed a bunch out. You Were, were you not even holding them to the to the deal of the rhinos? No, we, we did. We met at least, so I think I gave out five or six boxes. I think Stan gave out the same number-ish. Is that Whoa. right? And Give or take. it was, it was... I think at least half of those people were people who came up because they had rhinos and said, hey, I heard you have a bounty for rhino people. Here I am. Yeah, someone came up to me during round one, or it was right after round one, and showed me uh, his rhino deck that he altered to be entirely white-bordered. Yes. Which was oh very, goodness. very cool. I, yes. I'm so sorry I don't remember your name. I hope you're listening. I, I've been thinking about it ever since. That was the coolest rhino deck I've ever was- seen. Trenton F. Yeah, they're in. They're in the. They're in the. They're in the super secret Discord. Oh, sweet Discord. Sweet, love that. All right, so th- thank you so much to all you new patrons. Um, truly, truly humbled by your support. And we also have a thanks for a new review from McMulligan, who thinks we have good stuff and uh, good analysis. And you know what? We do. <laughs> Well, uh, the review is spot on. So uh, if you would like to get into the Discord, if you would like to chat with all of your fellow Dive Down listeners, you can go over to patreon.com slash the dive down. And then we send you cool stuff in exchange for your support, including deck boxes. Uh, they're looking dope. I'm surprised we didn't get a lot of photos from the internet starting to leak out. I know I saw one uh, tagging at the NRG series. So if you can if you can dig on the Twitter, you can you can find some early previews of what the duck box actually looks like. Now we need to make a commitment here. We've been waiting. People wait for these boxes. We have these boxes. We're going to send them out in the Very next soon. two weeks. Let's say we're going to yeah, send them I'm, out in the next two weeks. I think that's reasonable. I'm starting a new job. Uh, so there's a little bit of a, there's some bumps there. Uh, I'm just trying to navigate that right now, but we can get a bunch out soon. I'm also going to Northern Wisconsin for two and a half weeks, um, a week from Thursday. So any mailing that I'm going to do will have to be in early September after I return. Yeah. So, so Dave, I'll be sending these <laughs> out over the next two weeks and uh, yeah, we're going to try people. We know we have them. We want you to have them trust, trust us. I do not want, 500 boxes in my house no so we're going to get them out of here soon trust you can also support us just by playing magic on magic online using mana traders if you sign up with code the dive down 15 you get a 
ironically, 10% now. I don't know about ironic, maybe just a little bit different because the promo is different now and you get 10% off your first two months using signup code, the dive down 15 on the very best way to rent cards on Magic Online. Yep. And if you would like to support us while buying some paper cards, you can hit up Nerd Rage Gaming and use code DIVE8 when you are checking out to get 8% off cards that you buy. Got to meet Norm in person for the first time this week. Norm from Nerd Rage Gaming. Great guy. Go check out the store. Go buy some singles. Go support someone who's got a great tournament series going on. Not a paid ad. Just a reminder, we're just helping these people out because we believe in their mission. You might even get to hear from Norm on this episode. So stay tuned for, for the voice of of the president and CEO of Nerd Rage International. Great. And so with that, why don't we dive into this tournament? We're going to do one of our breakdowns. There might be some pivot tables going. There might be some average points per pilot going. But let's take it anecdotal first. I love anecdotal. Stan was there playing. I was there for two hours just kind of lurking, I guess, hanging out. <laughs> Shane was watching on TV. I was. Where do we start? I think we start. Should we start with Stan? Stan, do you want to start? I'd be happy to. Let's hear what your day was. How, how did it go? Well, I had a, re- a really fun time. If you'd like, I'm, I'm happy to provide a round-by-round report. Not belabor it too long, but... I can tell you every deck I played against, the result, and maybe like some things I learned along the way. I love it. So let's here's the story. Stan played Rhinos. We set that up last week that we yes. were, he was going to be playing Rhinos and um, had to play all the rounds because he was in contention for money. And and I car, I carpooled. I also carpooled. So sure. I, I, I didn't want to leave my friend stranded in Mundelein. There's no escaping from Mundelein. You carpooled with Martin? Yeah, Martin and Garrett. Did he also play all the rounds? I believe he did. How did Martin do? Not as well as me. Okay. Wow. Which is the reverse of the last MCQ that that we teamed for. Um, Martin is a a good player. I don't think we should bury the lead. I think you should tell people how you did before we get into this round by round. I I finished 7-2-1 for 25th place. um, Took home 100 bucks. And you were the the number one horn dog. You were the best rhino player in the room. Was I? Were, were there any other Cascade decks above me? I don't know if you were the captain of Cascade. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going I'm down not this sure road, Stan. I'm not going to pad your ego any longer. I, I, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. <laughs> I didn't notice. To be honest, I was only looking for rhinos when I looked at the living and kind of pooped the bed. So, so maybe maybe I was the best Cascader of the day. Even Captain Cascade. I will say, like that's really exciting for me because I put a lot of work into preparing for this tournament and. I I built a deck for this tournament, right? Like, I didn't just take any old Rhinos list. I did maybe 10 leagues over the last two weeks and made some predictions about the room that I was going to be playing in and, like, put together a very specific main deck and sideboard for the anticipated metagame. And in some cases, my predictions paid off. And I guess that's one of the things I will get into. But maybe the one thing I'll say about my deck is the way it's different from perhaps more stock versions of Rhinos, is that I played 26 lands to make room for a second Boseju. And I played three Endurance main because I was anticipating a lot of Murktide and Living End, especially. And I thought that uh, being pre-boarded against those two decks could give me a bit of an edge in what's frequently pretty close matchups. And um, no Bonecrusher Giants main, only one in the side. And I also played three Subtlety in the side. Um and only three-fourths of Vigor as well. 
So why don't you give us the, the matchup breakdown that you had? Because there was some interesting results that you had. If you want to go through it round by round, that's great. But I, I do think that there you did face one particular matchup a number of times. And I think the uh, your splits against it were pretty good. So I, I'd love to hear you talk about that, too. Sure. So I'll, I'll just say what that is. I played against four color Yorian Omnath decks four times. It was my first round opponent, my final round opponent. <laughs> not I was not happy about either of those pairings. Um, and then I played it just like a couple times in the middle because that's how structure works. Um, and I was 3-1 against four-color Yorian decks in the end. And of those two wins, so I, I, I beat them three times, I lost once. Of those two wins, I, I beat them 2-0 pretty decisively and quickly. And um, that included the final round nine opponent that I, I needed to win to make top 32. So that felt awesome, of course. Yeah, that's great. So what do you think helped you? Was there anything in particular that helped you in your configuration with four color, you think? Or do you think that it was just, you know, the games went, the games were good and you got to do your thing? Or what do you think happened there? The sideboard subtleties were huge. Yeah, I was going to ask, how'd the subtlety perform? Because I feel like that just has to be an auto-include these days. So before the tournament, actually like the day before the tournament, I did a coaching session with Tom Harvey and he was the one who helped me find room in my sideboard for some subtleties and really called out their power in the matchup, in the four-color matchup specifically. And they did not disappoint. They really proved their worth just being able to answer the most problematic cards in that matchup, whether it's Teferi, whether it's Solitude, just holding up Force of Negation, Subtlety, and like other blue cards just always felt awesome. Um, So I was really happy about those. I think in other cases, I kind of just like knew my role. I was really prepared for the matchup. I faced it a lot online, and I started to understand by by the time Saturday rolled around, like the positions I need to be in to win, how to sideboard on the plane on the draw, and basically, you know, the cards that I need to sequence in order to actually like maintain an advantage in a close matchup where a resolved Omnath is sometimes enough to just like completely change the game and swing it 180 degrees in the opposite direction right awesome so that's about a that's about half of your matchups right so you played nine rounds so that's four of them were four color what the Um, rest of the well five of them are four color because my second to last opponent was on four color elementals featuring kahira oh this uh, 60 card kahira list interesting exactly And, and in fact that was my one draw of the day wow and then I played Murktide twice. I was 50-50 against Murktide. And then my other matchups were... Creativity. Creativity, Rakdos Rock, and that's it. That's it. Awesome. Yeah, your, uh, your third round opponent on Is It Murktide was, was Scott Polera, who's third on the Season 2 leaderboard. Yes. Yes, that was a really interesting matchup. We got to Game 3, and then in Game 3... He won with five life while I had a bone crusher in hand. And it was just one of those games where I needed to connect with a rhino to win. And he would not let me do that. Just rude of him. Really like knew how to play defensively at every turn. And, you know, by the end of the game, like I'm jamming as many cascade spells as I could. And he always had an answer or always was able to block my rhinos, bounce them, disrupt my combo ultimately, and buffer his life total long enough that a Ledger Shredder and a Merktide closed the deal. 
No, I think uh, we're both proud of you, Stanislav. It's you. You were the captain of Cascade in twenty fifth place. No other, no other Cascade deck did better than Stanislav this weekend at the Energy Tournament. And uh, yeah, it shows that putting in the work once in a while <laughs> pays <laughs> off. <laughs> no, we're proud of you, Stan. I know that you, that it was uh, it was something you were looking to do, and that's awesome. So great work. Thanks. And now, and friends. now your wife cannot complain because you got a hundred smackers, so you've made up every magic card you've ever bought. That's true. I did. I've never spent more than a hundred dollars on magic cards because you know I trade and sell my existing collection, so I'm yeah, always listen, listen even to Steven. Our, you know, you, you pay, take advantage of good prices online. You know, people just hand you cards when off Facebook Marketplace every time I'm talking to you. So that's also true. But anyway, uh, great work, Stan. Well, I think as far as the kind of the rest of, of it went, you know, we talked about how great it was. You know, we saw, met, I met a number of patrons while I was there hanging out. I got to see some friends from around Chicago. It was just nice to be around. I wish I could have played. I had some family stuff I had to do. Um, one thing that we wanted to do was do some interviews with some people on the floor. And so we will be interspersing some of those throughout where they make sense the rest of the episode which I think makes sense from here. I wonder if we should just go ahead and jump into the meta breakdown and kind of do our thing with the spreadsheet and all that kind of stuff from here. What do you think? For sure. I just want to say, you know, I was watching the tournament at home. Everything was running really well. I think the combo of uh, Joe Lissette and Devin O'Donnell, AKA Doomwake. I mean, Doomwake's really good in the booth. I think he does a great job on the color commentary end of things and they have a good one, two punch there. And so I, I liked, I liked uh, them quite a bit. And then also, of course, Becky Bell doing the color commentary along with Joe Lissette uh, is also awesome. So they, they think they have a, a good suite of commentators and the and the comment and the broadcast runs really well. So that's another three cheers to NRG there. Yeah, and don't forget Mappa Monty. Oh yes, doing the doing the floor interviews. Oh yeah, we did, had a floor yeah. interview with uh, Citizen of the Nation Cora. That was nice. It was yeah. good to see that. So I handled a lot of this data manipulation, so I'll kind of run us through the NRG breakdown. There was 272 players, which meant 272 decks. Oddly, no one tried like the you know the dual deck. No one was double queuing, interestingly. <laughs> but first, Dave, you have some important important news for us. People are still doing it. They're still doing the thing where they're doing a joke with their name, and I don't want to call out too many people. But we, we have we have some fun ones though. We have some really weird ones this time, people. Okay, and all these people were in first. We're in the top 100. So last time I said nobody who had a joke name made it in the top 100 of the event. This is four people in the top 100. We had Stephen S. Five color zombies was actually four color elementals. Hmm. Hmm. We had um, Isaac T. That said, Mono Black Boggles was indom- indomitable creativity, a word I had never pronounced yeah, on the first time Mono Black Boggles, not a thing. Right? right? Then we had Colin F. on Mono Blue Yogmoth, which was Burn, the horror. <laughs> and finally, the one that I actually was the most shocked about was Samuel K. said that their deck was 8-rack, and they were on Living End. Living End. Sometimes I wonder if like they're just trying to mess with people. Like that one is that just like a deck? Is that like a computer error? Like five color zombies, mono black vocals. Those are clearly nonsense decks. Yeah, I don't know. Be care- come on, people. Shane has to go through and fix all this stuff by hand because of oh my gosh. people like you four. So help us out. Come on, 
Don't but do but what's what's really wild is I have to do it anyway because there's there's so many other decks that just are named slightly weird things like is it tempo or something like that and it's is it Merktide? It's Merktide. So yeah, it's just like so much little stuff. So I spent like you know hour fifteen I mean, looking at all these decks and and I didn't do the thing where it's like just a top top sixty four top one twenty eight. I wanted to give us the most accurate information possible, and so I was able to get everything into a nice little organized buckets and that gave us a lot of good information to work with i was able it lets me like even recalculate things like win rates yeah uh, because you know the win rates on the nrg thing aren't normalized as well so we have a lot of good clean data here yeah with that in mind i think we should hop directly into what the number one deck of the week was and part of it was hidden especially if you just glance at the mtg melee site you might not think that this was the number one deck but as far as I'm concerned, it was, and that is four color money piles. Yeah, four color stuff. Whether now, it's blink, whether yeah. it's elementals, whether it's sort of controlish versions. Yeah, and this this really leads to what Shane was talking about a minute ago, where it doesn't matter if the decks are real are tr- even tried to be named correctly, because if they're not normalized, you know, in the four color blink pile, which says that there's 22 decks, it says that there's 13 decks in four color elementals and six decks in four color control. Totally understanding that some of these are not necessarily the same. There's probably a couple of four-color elemental decks with Kahira in there, in addition to four-color money piles, 80-card Orion decks with Risen Reef under the elementals title. But even within the Blink versus Control self-reported names, some of them are traverse builds, and they appear in both of those piles. So it's really just kind of one big blob that adds up to 41 decks. And in this in this tournament, that was 15% of the meta. And I can tell you from walking around the floor, looking at what people were playing, it felt like every other person I saw, honestly, <laughs> was on four color of some kind. Well, you know what to say about Chicago. It's a real four color blink or elementals meta. It's a Yorian kind of town. I mean, definitely this time around. Yeah. <sighs> That's a big deal. I mean, it's the win rate as well. Not only the representation, but the win rates here were around like 55 to 56% for the Blink and Elemental versions, which are the most represented just in terms of naming counts. The Control versions, what basically Control is just kind of like the non-Elementals version, basically no Risen Reef and no Ephemerate. That's all the four-color Control really means, I think. Those did have a lower win rate at about 48%. But again, like Dave said, there's so much little uh, small amounts of crossover. If like maybe it's traverse, maybe it's not. Let's just say overall, these decks probably had like a 54-ish percent win rate on the weekend. And, and there's even more here where there's a couple of entries at the bottom of the list that are called four-color Vivian combo and four-color Vivian combo. They're just the word Vivian is spelled differently. And those are both basically the same. Those are basically the same shell still except for they just have Vivian on the hunt to do kind of a birthing pod combo as the way that they win in a, in a supposedly shorter amount of time. I suppose we'd have to see. But um, there's a lot of this deck, a lot, a lot, a lot of this deck around right now. Dave, you're not supposed to look at the one of decks to find my slight naming errors, okay? I'm just saying. I know. There's true. a lot here. There's quite a bit. And so it's it's there. It's doing It's still doing very well. It's still hovering around like 55%. And that's maybe, I guess, just safe enough where it's like, it's not 58, but like, man, 55% regularly across many paper tournaments we've seen. And we have some insights from two different players that placed 
that are high up on the energy leaderboard right now. Zach Allen and Jesse Robkin are two people that Stan talked to about the four color deck. And so we're going to cut that interview in those two interviews in here right now with Stan talking to Zach and then Stan talking to Jesse. Stan, do you have anything you want to let people know about before we hop into the two interviews? In our conversations, we tried to weigh some of the advantages and disadvantages of you know the various approaches to four color and whether or not Traverse has uh, a home in the format as another flavor of this deck moving forward. And um, I will say I never played against Traverse, but it's also possible I just didn't see it when my opponents cast it or, yeah. or had it in their deck. Absolutely. All right, so we'll cut those interviews in and then we will be back to talk about the rest of the meta. All right, I am sitting here with friend of the show. Finally got to meet you in person. None other than Zach Allen. Zach, good to meet you. How are you doing today? Good, man. Uh, thanks for having me again. Thanks for finding me. How's the tournament going for you? Not well. Yeah, not well. This is uh, one of the bad ones. Uh, I just dropped XN3, dead for everything. So just, uh, yeah, I'm over it. But... Um, this is going to happen. You know, you just have tournaments. I, I've been running really hot recently, so you're going to have one dud here and there. And uh, there's another one tomorrow, so I'm focused on that one, you know. What'd you play? Played four color. Um, pretty much like how I told you guys I'd play it uh, when I was on the cast the last time. Uh, I worked on the Traverse version. I didn't like the Traverse version. I thought it opened you up to blue-red, which I thought was the other de facto best deck. And then, of course, I just played against random stuff. Didn't play against a tiered deck all day. Um, lost to Dredgevine twice in just, like, one of those days where, you know, you just can't can't get a pairing to go your way. So these things happen. Are, I think I've heard this, like, among other players or maybe even on other podcasts, that one of the ways to beat up on Four Color is, like, playing some of these curveball decks. Yep. It, is Dredgevine maybe a good matchup against the the Omnath builds? Uh, I don't know that that one is specifically. Like, I do have four Endurance in my 75. Um, I just never saw one in the match, and I think my opponent drew quite well. Like, the, the mill effects are just random, and sometimes they have two Vengevines in their top five cards when they mill, and then you're just done. But other times they mill and don't do anything relevant, and then their deck doesn't do anything. Or you just have an Endurance, and they spend all their resources, and they lose to an Endurance. But... Um, that's why you play the game. Even when you're, you know, 60 to 80% to win, uh, you're still going to lose 20 to 40% of the time. Yeah. That's just how magic works. Now, you mentioned you had four Endurance in the 75. Are you not playing a Yorion build? No, I am playing... Or, sorry, 95, excuse okay. me. Yeah, yeah. Figure of speech. Uh, yeah, no, I, I am playing Yorion, and... Um, yeah, I, just, I had one Endurance main, three in the board. And you said you're not on Traverse. Are you playing Blink, the like Blink controlling version, or are you playing Risen Reef Elementals? I mixed all of them. So I had two Eladomri's calls, one Eternal Witness, one Endurance, one Risen Reef, and then uh, two Ephemerate. So I kind of had... It, it is the Blink version, but I wanted access to like all the different elements that the deck does. I feel there's... Um, different spots where each one excels uh but i think maybe if i could go back i might have played traverse with this build i'm not sure um but i think the way it played out today i just wasn't really destined to have a good day i just you know you build your deck to play against the the tiered decks and when you don't play against them sometimes you have a rough matchup what do you think the traverse version may have opened you up to or or maybe given you like extra advantages over uh so the traverse version really helps 
Um, just be more consistent against other decks, but I felt like it was worse in the mirror and worse in against blue red. Um, you get really opened up to being quite weak to. I can't remember the the vehicle that exiles your graveyard. Unlicensed hearse. Thank you. There you go. Um, I was finding and testing. I was losing to unlicensed hearse a lot in matchups where I didn't like against blue red, where I, like I didn't need to be losing to it, but I was. Um, and then in the mirror, you open yourself up to just getting endurance a lot, which I think is. Um, I don't think endurance is good enough when you're not playing traverse necessarily, but when you have traverse and unholy heat and renin six and emrakul in post board games you get really opened up to just getting endurance on repeat. And that can really, that can end the game. So um, I built it to be better in those scenarios, but I also didn't play a mirror or play against blue red. So I don't know that it mattered, you know? I envy you because I've just been playing four color constantly. I think I played it three times today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it is the most popular deck in the room according to Melee. Sure. And I believe that. I think it's definitely all over the place, and I want to be playing the mirrors. It's something I feel like I'm advantaged in, and something I feel like I play well. Um, but you know, sometimes you don't play. Yeah. It just happens. So you have won a previous Nerd Rage trial. Does this lock you into the circuit? Like you, you mentioned, how much you love coming to these events, um, almost separate from the fact that you're on the leaderboard. Are, are you more motivated to keep playing like in these RCQs or are you just willing to play any energy trial? What, what's that planning like for you now that you've reached like one of these competitive levels? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. I think I'm locked into energies for as long as I'm still doing well on the leaderboard just because high placing comes with other bonuses, other cash bonuses, whatever. So... At least for the time being, I'm not going to miss an energy. Um, but the season's only two more events after this, um, and a lot can change. So I don't actually know. I, I would like to go to Atlanta to play in the RCQ. Or RC. The region, yeah, the RC, thank yeah. you, regional championship. Um, so I'll probably play some, some of those events. But, yeah, I think for the most part, just, I'm locked in. I'm definitely locked into the next two. I already have a team for... Uh, St. Louis, and then I don't know what the event after that is, but I'm probably locked in just because of my leaderboard placing. So those two I'm definitely going to, but we'll see what happens with RCQs. I'm hoping I can win one soon. Yeah. Which seat are you in in the St. Louis tournament? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I think they want me to play Legacy, so we'll see how Legacy goes tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. Um, I might play... I might play Pioneer if my deck's good, but I'll probably end up playing Legacy, I think. What are you playing in the Legacy tournament tomorrow? Oh, boy. Uh, Jeskai Days Undoing. It's the same the same deck I won the event with, uh, the team event back in, was it Minnesota, Minneapolis? So, Zach, you mentioned that you just dropped out of this event. You were tweet- tweeted recently that, you know, you had a, a rough RCQ a week ago. I'm, I'm curious, you know... You're used to some level of success occasionally. Yeah. How do you manage like tilt and frustrations and emotions when like you're, I think, fair to say, one of the stronger players in the room? It didn't go your way today. H- how do you move forward from this and, and, and keep a cool head? Oh, I mean, like you're just, if you play Magic, you're going to lose. That's just how this game works. You, the best players in the world win 65 to 70% of the time. So. 30, like, even if you're the best there is, 30 to 35% of the time you're coming out with an L. Um, and, like, you know, once you just play enough, uh, like, 
it doesn't phase you as much anymore. Like I can be tilted in the moment after a loss and feel like I got unlucky. And in some scenarios I probably did, some scenarios I didn't. Um, but like I've just done it so many times now that it's um, you know just part of playing. Like you know, be tilted for five minutes, move on. Um, I you know people like you know you see me now you're talking to me now and I have had a bunch of success uh recently but you know you didn't see no one was like asking who I was or talking to me when I was a no-name trying to like win right and when that was the case uh it was even more important to manage tilt because um I wasn't winning as much as I was I am now you know I was still learning the game I was still trying to get good and um my tournament results were worse I had a lot a lot of close calls to like just make day two of an SEG or like make day two of a Grand Prix um, and I lost a lot of winning ins there and um, you know once you build up those losses over time they just stop mattering long term like you can be frustrated in the two to three minutes after it happens but then you just move on there's another event tomorrow I'm just going to play something else um, and the reality is, even if I do do poor in a tournament, um, I have had some really big losses in bigger games where there's a lot more on the line. And um, I remember those games. I'm still sad I lost, um, but the you know the current losses just don't feel they don't feel as bad. You know, you just when you've lost a lot, it just doesn't they stop phasing you as much, I guess. Um, but that's just magic. Like you're gonna lose a lot, and honestly, like. If some people just like don't get that tilted, and that's good for them, and other people do get tilted, and I'll tell you, uh, when you get tilted, just roll with it. You know, like you, it's gonna happen. People are emotional. Sometimes you will get tilted, and you just kind of have to accept it and move on. You know. Great advice. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Always a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally got to meet in person. Now I now I actually know how tall you are. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, it's definitely definitely good to like put a name to a face. You know, it's cool. Uh, getting to actually see your friends at events um something uh i missed pretty dearly you know during covid so it's cool that this is coming back for sure i'm sitting here with jesse ropkin a former nrg trial winner from the team tournament jesse good to see you how are you doing today former once a winner always a winner um just kidding i yes i'm doing personally i'm doing okay uh professionally i'm doing poorly in this tournament <laughs> what are you playing I'm playing four-color blank, um, just like traditional, pretty similar to the one I played in Lansing last month. So blank, is that the controlling version or the elementals version? The controlling version, and notably it's not the delirium version, so I'm playing lightning bolts over and holy heats, and I'm not playing bobble or traverse. What drew you to the blank version today? I didn't get a whole lot of time to test much before this tournament, so I... Um, had a lot of conversations with other people who play a lot of four color and um, essentially decided that um, it's I think it's possible that the delirium versions are better I, I just didn't feel comfortable playing a deck that I had no reps with and I think it's I think adding bobble and heat to the deck does change it enough that um, it's, like, it's like a different deck but um, so yeah I, I, I basically just stuck with what I knew what do you think are the appeals of some of these newer versions? Like this Traverse version that I think has been picking up really over the last few weeks. What do you think might draw you or just other players to that over a controlling one or the Risen Reef deck? I think, um, so number one, I think being able to play on Holy Heat is a pretty big boon. Um, I think 
uh, like with all the Omnaths and other X4 plus toughness creatures floating around, um, having access to that six damage is really important. And then once you're already playing Bobble and Unholy Heat, you might as well also play Traverse the Olden Wall or, you know, I think that's the logic behind it. You get to play Main Deck Emrakul, you have a bit more of a toolboxy package, um, which also gives you an edge in the mirror, I believe, uh, is my understanding. But um, And then Elementals, if you really like, you know, overwhelming the board with uh, Risen Reef triggers and such, um, I think that's the argument for it. I am, I, I find that deck to be not great, personally. Um, so I have a somewhat low opinion of it, but I believe that's the, the logic behind it. Um, and then the more traditional version that I'm playing, uh, the idea is just, so, so my, my belief is that adding Mishra's Bobble to an 80 card deck is more of a downside than people seem to think it is. Having a card that um, doesn't have any text on it beyond just like being able to scry, fake scry with uh, fetch lands, I think, uh, and then have that delayed draw, I think is an actual problem. Because if you like have that delayed draw, you hit a Omnath or a Teferi that you really wish you could have played on that turn. I think that's like a pretty big issue. Um, and then the other thing is, I think the scry trick, which is sacking it, target yourself, then fetch if you don't like the card on top, um, is much less powerful when you add 20 cards to your deck because the value of that random card you're drawing is lower than if it was a 60 card deck. That's my personal belief. A lot of people don't agree with me though, uh, but yeah. yeah. How relevant do you think Unholy Heat is just in an open meta? Is it helping some of these more traverse uh, builds in four color mirrors, or is it just like just a broadly good card that you want access to in general? In a way that maybe having access to Fury and Solitude doesn't already provide the four color deck. Yeah, I think honestly, in an open field, either Bolt or Heat have some merit. Obviously, if you're delirious, most of the time having heat is better. Um, however, there, I think that people underrate how valuable going face is with Lightning Bolt in the Delirium deck, because especially I'm playing the Eternal Witness Ephemerate build, um, and so being able to like Bolt face and then you know, Ephemerate, Bolt face again when, when clock matters, I think is valuable. Being able to kill a Shredder on turn two is really valuable. Um, and then, um, but apart from that, I think there is, um, I think probably Heat is slightly better in the open meta. And if I didn't have to play Mishra's Bobble in order to play Unholy Heat, I would. I know Zach Allen is playing um, Unholy Heats and no Mishra's Bobbles in his deck, which um, I'm skeptical is going to work out for him, but you know. Right, and I guess you could just do that by putting an Abundant Growth on a fetch land. And yeah, yeah, you can sack the, the fetch land and you get two card types that way. Although um, not having the artifact type in your deck is, I think, an issue, yeah. but yeah. I noticed on the MTG Melee uh, page for this event, Four Color is the most popular deck of the, of the oh, day, really? followed by Murktide. If you knew that you were going to potentially be facing Four Color Mirrors all day, would you have played a different deck potentially? I actually haven't played a Four Color Mirror today. I wish that I had, because I feel like that would have gone better for me. I played Burn three times today. Yikes! Yeah, not, not where you want to be. Um, so yeah, it's been rough. That's what I get for losing round one. Um, <laughs> placing me in the burn bracket. Um, I lost to Amulet Titan. Um, but yeah, so... How, how is that matchup, the Amulet four-color matchup? It's... I think it's closer than people say it is, um, because I think... So I play Dress Down main deck, which helps. Solitude obviously is good. Um, it's very swingy. But it's, it's... I don't think there are a lot of close wins or losses. It feels like whoever won sort of did so in a landslide. Um, 
I think it's slightly favored for Amulet, but not by a whole lot. And I think the Heat versions probably have a slightly better time uh, because Bolt is just not a card against them. I uh, In game one, I double bolted a Titan and it did not feel good. <laughs> Hopefully you found some other way to recoup the cards spent uh, on that Titan after after what, four for one yourself with, yeah. with the lands? <laughs> exactly, yeah, uh, four for one. And one of the lands they got was, a, I think, a um, Teleria West. So yeah, I, I did not win that game, believe it or not. <laughs> Jesse, thank you so much. I, I think they're in turns now, so okay. we should probably wrap this up. Really nice chatting with you. We've been a fan of yours. We, we love having you in the Discord. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> as active as that. <laughs> you know. yeah. It is a very active Discord. Uh, join the Patreon. Join, get, get in the Discord. Yes. Talk, talk to us day, day or night. Um, Jesse, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I write for TCG Player. You can find me, uh, Jesse Robkin, are my articles. I haven't written one in a little bit. I don't write super often. Um, and then also on Twitter at uh, TiddyPills. Uh, it's T-I-D-D-Y-P-I-L-L-S. Um, so, yeah. Two L's? T-I-L-L-S, yeah. P-I-L-L-S. Yeah, did I say T? It's been a long day. All right, well, enjoy the rest of your day. Are, are, are you still playing or have you dropped? I just dropped. I'm going to go take a nap and try to have a good evening. <laughs> More power to you. Sweet dreams. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Uh, I'm glad that, Stan, you, you got that. You're testing some of our new gear on the floor, our, our nice uh, budget handheld recorders. Thanks again to the Patreons and the patrons for allowing us to uh, keep doing cool stuff like that and hopefully sounding pretty decent. So in second place, we do have... Is it Merktide? 33 decks, about 12% of the meta. Uh, pretty darn big. And Merktide had a pretty good, but not outstanding day overall. A very Is it Merktide uh, win rate of about 53%. And so, yeah, I mean, the pilots did fairly well. It's definitely a, a slightly above average. I don't know why, but for some reason, I just imagined walking up to someone and going, a very Is it Merktide win rate to you? <laughs> and a very Is it Merktide win rate to you? As well, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Is it Murktide still being the, the most represented deck? I mean, kind of in terms of just sheer cohesion. Like these decks are, are very similar, while the four color decks differ a little bit. But yeah, it's like you said, Dave. It's it's really the the second most popular deck in the room, but maintains its position as the deck you're expecting to see, if not first, second in in the room. Yeah, that makes me feel a little better about playing the main deck endurances, though. To be perfectly honest. They never came up in my two Merktide matches, so it happens. At least you took your shot. Yeah, yeah and 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 if nothing else, maybe it demonstrates that you don't necessarily need that pre-board hate sometimes to like outplay a kind of clunky mid-range tempo control aggro all of the above deck. <laughs> Stan, was that was that your read, Stan? Were you just basically planning on I'm going to see like thirty percent four color in Merktide? I was expecting more Merktide than four color. I, I maybe this is naive of me. I just assumed that the price tag of four color plus the fact that like games go really long and people don't necessarily love to play the deck. They love to win, and and, and a lot of good players will say you kind of have to play this deck to win. The results of the tournament maybe challenge that a little bit to some extent. Um, I guess I just like didn't think it was going to be so far and away the most popular deck in the room. It hasn't been in the other MCQs I played. And and yeah, I, I just guess Magic players have deep pockets or 
old collections plus a, enough MH2 cards to just like it not being that really expensive if you've been playing modern long enough and you've been picking up cards along the way. Yeah, I mean the set's been out for a year now. Yeah, I I, I just want to. This is not crucial by any means, but anecdotally interesting is that one of my opponents revealed a foil Yorian, and then I noticed that their deck was like 10 feet tall, and they played a foiled out money pile deck <laughs> oh against me. Oh my gosh, me. wow. That was the one That's who beat impressive. me, who just like completely crushed me. Well, you know, they're, they just had a better deck than you. Exactly. Definitely more expensive. All right. Third place on the meta list was Burn. At oh, 5.5% of the meta, 15 players on Boros Burn. Huge drop here, though. Worth noting that between Murktide and four-color variants, like you said, Shane, it was about 30% of the room. And from there, it's 5% is the next, the next biggest deck. From 20 plus, 30 plus, I guess 30 plus in the case of both four-color and is it, we go down to 15. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is something that you talked about recently, Stan, and we've talked about in the past where it's like, hey, maybe it's a good time to be playing some burn. You try to get it under four color. Uh, my understanding is that it has a pretty good Murktide matchup. Uh, it's not something that I have a ton of reps with, but you know, but much like burn, it's like you're not going to have a ridiculously huge edge on anything. And that kind of bore out here with even those two decks being the most represented Burn only had a 46.6% win rate. Not really great. I think that continues to be where we have seen Burn in a lot of these larger paper tournaments where it's like a 45% deck. It's not really peeking its head up into the known good decks uh, area, but people just love playing Burn. They love doing a Shane where they're just kind of like last minute audible to Burn because they didn't really know what else to play. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think that although the Burn player can make for a difficult matchup for the four color um decks i actually have come around to the burn murktide matchup and i think a skilled murktide pilot should have those games on lock just ha ha having more counter spells and and um the cheap removal for the threats is is usually just good enough in my experience to beat burn and and honestly i actually think it's like all the other decks in the room that are kind of tough for burn um Yogmoth decks, Living End, Amulet Titan. I actually think like those are all pretty tough matchups for burn decks in general. Um, unless the burn player has like the nut draw and the other decks kind of stumble. So I'm not totally surprised to see burn have just kind of like a less than 50% win rate over the course of the tournament. Um, especially if they maybe didn't get paired up against four color all that often. Yeah. That's kind of just where I feel burn sort of is right now it's just like you have to draw really well more often than other decks have to right now i think just because like it's it's just a deck that hasn't seen any real significant upgrades in quite a f quite a long time and that's just where it's going to be like it, it wasn't some kind of it didn't get an influx of power from the horizons sets and so it's just you know one day burn will get another spell and it'll, it'll push back up some percentage points but for now i don't think i'm going to touch burn in a, in a large tournament when i've got you know rhinos to play or another deck that i'm more interested in you know what i think you should try shane with, yeah. with your burn deck yeah main deck roiling vortex maybe main deck i just think that's actually the best card in the deck after lightning bolt <laughs> it's like wow lightning bolt boros charm roiling vortex roiling vortex doming opponents for five when they cast no mana is relevant 
in just like half the metagame. It, it's so good against the Cascade decks, which there seems to be a new Cascade deck every week. It's really good against the Omnath decks because they're pitching solitudes and, and pitching cards in general. Right. Um, it, it shuts off Omnath's life gain. I'm surprised like we haven't seen that experimentation yet. I feel like that's just if you're playing main deck rolling vortex. I feel like I don't want to be playing burn. Do you know what I mean? It's like that old like if you're playing main deck skull crack, you don't want to be playing burn. Well, that's guess, guess like, what's like going another, on with burn? This yeah, weekend. I mean, usually I think there's like two main deck yeah. skull cracks lately. Um, but yeah, I think rolling vortex is an even uh, weirder and larger canary in the burn coal mine. Fourth place on the meta list, five point one percent of the meta, just behind burn, is living end, and another. Not great performance. Uh, it's only 46.5%. We have seen weekends when Living End is doing a lot better than that. But the the pilots this weekend didn't have uh, as good luck. And yeah, 46.5%. Some days, feathers. I also kind of think this is an exploitable deck. It's been doing I mean, so well. Yeah. It's been just doing so well online lately that I think everyone who came to compete had a Living End plan. And when you have like a really clear plan, um, sometimes you just have to like mulligan aggressively, find your hate, and and disrupt them enough that they can't play magic. Yeah, like if, if I was playing this tournament, I would a hundred percent have plans and cards against Blink, against Murktide, against Living End, which also gives some splash hate to to Rhinos as well. I, I think you're right, Stan. Is like it's something that people can just have a good game plan against and have cards against and. And maybe Living End doesn't draw their their anti-hate pieces or something like that. Very stable lists. Like right now, everything that we've looked at is pretty stable as far as deck building goes, except for the kind of wild pr- proliferation that is all the different flavors of four colors still. Next up, Amulet Titan. I do think that there was a little bit of something going on here, though. So there were 13 people with Amulet Titan this weekend. However, for the first time in a while, I feel like Amulet Titan posted a good win rate, very good win rate. In fact, overall, it posted a 55% win rate, 12.62 average points per pilot on Amulet Titan, which is very good, by the way. Uh, I know that sounds like it's only four wins or so, but that's a very good record as far as our scale goes there. Yeah, it's in the top tier of decks this weekend and and one one of the better ones and kind of the more popular decks for sure. Yeah. And then there's a couple of different different decks. There are a t- couple of different innovations going on here. One is people starting to experiment with a new big mana payoff in Titan in Hydroid Crisis, which is a way, a card that they can draw into to be able to cast to get a huge, you know, huge flyer, a lot of life, a lot of cards, and um, they can they can search it up. And cast it. A lot of the decks that I saw with it, it's not in all the decks. It's not even in many of the decks that I saw this weekend. It was maybe in four of them from what I saw looking through. One of the players, Quang Vu, top aided with it and had three in their 75. They had one main, one crisis main, two crises in the side. I imagine that seems to help with a lot of different matchups. And I saw uh, people on Twitter in particular kind of going crazy for it this, this weekend, this week, talking about it, posting pictures, all that kind of stuff. Aquang also had two Inferno Titan in the sideboard. Uh, and guess what you can cast under a Blood Moon? Inferno Titan. Yeah. Yes. That's the card. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Interesting move there, too. However, Jack Par- Potter house at House of Mana 
also top eighted on the amulet. So we had two amulets in the top eights. Jack Potter um, was in the finals as well, lost in the finals to Zach Dubin, did not have any kind of tech like that in their deck from what I saw on the list. It was more of a straight down the middle amulet deck. But, you know, the amulet discord is powerful and is out there <laughs> trying to find new things to do to keep their deck running. And it seems like they may have hit on something that's pretty interesting, at least for now. Yeah, I think it's cool. We'll, we'll see if it this this uh, tech continues to spread a little bit. Yeah, I, I also thought it was interesting that Quang Vu was playing a three Sakura Tribelder in their list, which is a card that comes in and out of, of amulet decks. And obviously, I'm no amulet expert. Dominaris Judgment will probably address it on their next episode. I wonder if this is just like one of the ways to help the Murktide matchup in particular, rather than leaning on something like Azusa to put extra lands on the board or playing Sakura that just like is so good at dodging removal. Yeah. You, and is always guaranteed them. to put an extra land in your deck. Exactly. I was actually wondering if part of Krasis might be because it's good against it makes a big flyer that can that can block Murktide mm-hmm. and can block Ledger Shredder probably depending on how much mana you pump into it, which is a big difference between the threats that have been in the deck before. Again, not a not an amulet uh, expert, of course, but seeing that made me wonder if it was about more than just the cards and the life, and if it was also just about having a giant flyer that you could close a game out with or block something that's going to kill you or something like that. But, you know, it's less profitable for someone to bounce it, for example, where you just replay it, get more cards, get more life. Um, so... I don't know. Interesting stuff going on with Titan. Next up on the list with 11 pilots at 4% of the meta, it's team of Rhinos. And like we kind of alluded to earlier, Rhinos did not have a great weekend. It was, had a 48% uh, win rate right in the same ballpark as living end, unfortunately. And as we said, Stan was the cascade person, the highest on the leaderboard this week at 20 in 25th place. So um, you know that when no deck is above 25th place, that the, the archetype didn't really have a great, great, great week, at least. Yeah. Too bad. Um, it'll, it'll, you know, it'll come back around. Rhinos has been pretty no-showing on Magic Online recently, too, which means that people are probably going to start shaving a few chalices here, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, it'll peak its head back up. Yeah, I think it it could also see a resurgence if and when people um, notice that Yawgmoth is doing really well. Like that's just one of the the best predators to the Yogmoth deck in the format, and we've been seeing Yogmoth perform pretty highly in online challenges, and this is, you know, a nice way to maybe address it if you see a pickup of of that deck in the metagame too. Oh, just you wait about Yogmoth. We're gonna have plenty to talk about with Yogmoth here in a minute. Uh, next on the list was Azorius Hammer with four percent of the meta or eleven pilots. It also had twelve point eight. Average points per win, that's one of the highest decks on our list. I think it's fourth on our average points per per pilot spread and also had a 56% win rate. That is that's good. pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's, Where it's is that still coming from? Just people playing it. I mean, it's, it's a solid deck. It's got the good disruption. You know, I think it's modern is a format, I think, that people want if you if you are being sort of tempoed out with like a spell pierce here or like a mana leak there, uh, that kind of stuff, I think that hammer is so efficient with what it's trying to do that it can sort of hold up really cheap disruption that and it stop what the opponent's trying to do to stop it. And then it's just so powerful that just like 
with rhinos, you know, you buy yourself one turn and it does a lot. I think Hammer does the same thing in a lot of ways. I think it's also a good combo deck to get under four color control is, is part of it. And if you like, you're siding into something like Teferi Time Reveler or um, even Mana Leak, maybe being able to shut off opponent, like flashing in solitudes. Sometimes you just kill them before they can do anything. Um, you know, we talked recently about how Omnath isn't even that good until turn five. And sometimes Hammer will just kill you on turn three. So it's an interesting matchup. I listened when I got home from the tournament, I listened to a matchup between I forget who the two players were who were on the broadcast with Hammer versus Four Color. And it was an intense, intense matchup. I think one of them was Will Kruger. I forget mm-hmm. who he was playing against. But um speaking of, for our second interview set of the day. And I think our last one, at least as far as the decks go, Stan had some time to talk to Will Kruger, well-known uh, Illinois-Chicago grinder, about uh, the fact that they were playing Hammer. Again, back on the Hammer train was really well-known. So Will, X-Whale on Magic Online, really well-known Titan player for a long time, switched to Hammer during the height of the Luris era. And then now is back on uh, Hammer uh, somehow. So it'll be interesting to hear why he's back. I'm standing here with Will Kruger, a.k.a. X-Whale. That is me. Um, Mox champion. Yeah, that is also me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Will, what are you playing today? Uh, I am playing uh, Blue-White Hammer. It's very stock. Uh, just I, I like the deck. I own it in paper, and uh, I think it's pretty good. Um, yeah. So I've known you to be a Hammer main since the Luris era. I, I heard the Grindcast episode where you basically broke it down. It, it seemed like you went off Hammer for a while after the Luris ban. Are you back on it? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, a lot of people seem to be winning with it. Um, I don't really understand a lot of the cards in my deck. Like, a lot of people have Reality Chip in their deck, and so I do too. But it's just like... I, it's been, like, so bad for me, like, constantly. So I'm probably going to cut it at some point, but, like, it's like... I don't know. So I'm, I'm just kind of... Uh, I don't know. I haven't been playing, like, practicing a ton uh, after the Mox. I was just, like... Because I was playing... Dude, I played so much Vintage Cube. Like, yeah. it is unreal how much Vintage Cube I played. So I haven't been playing too much Magic. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I like coming to the paper events, seeing my friends and stuff. So sure. uh, just playing some Hammer. Yeah, I, I like it uh, good enough. Yeah. So does winning the mocks get you a seat at the RC, or does it get you a seat at the Pro Tour, or both? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, qualified for Atlanta and Charlotte. Yeah. So, but you can still play this type of event just to stay on the NRG leaderboard? Yeah, so like the way that, that it works is that these are, uh, they call these destination events, and so that uh, there's just two, but if it's just an RCQ, like the ones that like happen at like local game stores, I'm not allowed to play those, I guess, is how the system works. Yeah. Can you tell us how Hammer is treating you today? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm foreign too. I lost, uh, I lost a tight match to Ellen Bogan on four-color control, and I lost to my friend Mason on uh, Black Green New Yogmoth. I lost just two tight three-game sets, and I beat two creativity decks, um, and I just beat the red-green like prowess deck, I guess. Um, you know, the, the Thrasta deck? Yeah, yeah the 3-2 th- three, bracket things, you know. Uh, I wasn't sure if he played it, and like I was like, I'm going to call a judge for Oracle Text. Uh, and he's like, I'll just show you. I'm like, oh, okay, you do, so you do play it. I'm like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, and then um, I beat... I beat a four-color deck, too. I was on 1-1 against four-color, 2-0 against creativity, and then I lost to Yogmoth, and I beat Prowess. Just from playing in the event today, a lot of four-color in the room. I've noticed on Melee that 
I think it's the most popular deck followed by Murktide. Knowing that ahead of the tournament, would you have picked a different deck, or what do you think is the best type of deck to bring into this? Would you have played red green? Uh, uh, not have played <laughs> red green. Uh, red green Thrasta. Um, I guess. I mean, or, or yeah. not Thrasta, but um, oh, oh, the, no. the Mox deck. Oh no, no, no! You can't, you can't play that deck in, in a in term like this. People play Murktide, and I. My prediction for the mocks was that nobody played Murktide because it was not favorable against four color, um, and so I thought that I like the Murktide wouldn't exist, and then um, you could like your Cascade matchup's kind of shaky, but you have Wish for Chalice in that deck, um, so like that was what I was banking. Nobody ended up running for Cascade, and it was pretty good. But you, you just can't um, like if I knew I was going to play against four color every round, I would just snap off Valakut. But if you knew that, then Magic would be like the easiest game in the world. So like um, you know, but um, and none of us would be here if it were yeah, the I mean, it would just be a very boring game if it was like, all right, can you beat this deck? It's like. Yeah, I can beat the stack. I mean, which, that was actually just the challenge for the mocks, which was almost because two people did show up with that shadow. But, but that also, like, maybe nobody plays four color or whatever in that tournament, so I don't know. But um, yeah, uh, I, I, I I knew what it was going to be like because like every every one of these tournaments is like the same. It's like Murktide, four color, and then Living End and, and Hammer and some some Rhinos and stuff. It's all it's like all very similar. Like if you you can you can look at like the the data right, and it just it's like the trends are like it's very clear what is happening, and nothing's really been shaken up since the last time. And like, but I, I like Hammer, and like I said, I own it, and so like I don't have to like go like, hey, do you have Solitudes I can borrow right. and stuff right. and all all that all that jazz. So you know, I'm just playing Hammer and having fun. I'd make the same decision again, you know. Yeah. So you are now a pro tour competitor. Sure. Yeah. You, you've done multiples. You're qualified for another one. Yeah. How do you prepare for a tournament like this? For like an NRG or maybe even an LGS MCQ? W what do you do now that maybe you didn't do when you were still getting better? Okay. Um, so what I mean, what I did is I would I would just play the deck I like always because I'm an idiot. But if you actually like, if your goal is like improve, and then it's like you're like dedicated about that. Um, I guess my and you and like your goal is like win an RCQ, then top forty eight Atlanta or whatever. Like what I would do for the local games for qualifiers is I would take the best deck. You know what it is? It, it's four color. It's Phoenix. It's Delver or whatever. I mean, I don't think they can make them Legacy or whatever. And I think it's Hanada and Standard. I don't really follow Standard anymore though. Um, but um, you, it's like very obvious what the best deck is in most formats these days. Um, and so like the, it, the the best for tournaments like that, the best deck is the best deck for a reason. And you should play it. Uh, I, I would highly recommend. Like if you know, obviously in the hypothetical world, for the hypothetical person where money doesn't matter, preference doesn't matter. What you like, I mean, Magic is a game, so you should play with fun. But like, yeah. if your goal is strictly to win, I would I would play the best deck, and then um, yeah, and then like I mean, don't do what I did at the mocks for for like don't do that. Like that is really stupid at, at like RCQs. That is like not gonna work. That's like not how Magic is. Uh, but a tournament like this, um, I, I don't really prepare for nerve just to be honest. I I like I just. Honestly, my main goal here is like just have fun with my friends and like you know I'm like somewhere in the points race or whatever and like maybe I qualify, maybe I don't. It was fun playing last year, um, even though I went three and four in the championship. But uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean uh, I, I don't know. So I just I'm playing decks I like. You know, I mean I, Magic's a game and I, I like to play for fun. You know. Hell yeah. Well, very nice to meet you. We've been a fan of yours for a long time, been following your work. Of course, we know your MTGO screen name even. Uh, Apparently everybody does. <laughs> where can people find you online? Do you, I, I know you tweet. Do you stream ever? Uh, I do occasionally. Uh, my Twitch channel is the same as my uh, Magic Online uh, handle. I, recently, it's been really bugging when people come into the stream and like they just like peanut gallery, like really stupid opinions. It's like, or not even opinions, just like basically. On the internet? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it, and it's like, that's been bugging me. So that's been preventing me from streaming. So like maybe I would... I don't know. Maybe I'll just like stop tweeting when I'm live because like the people who like come in normally are like usually just my friends and stuff. So it'd be like, like I'm not trying to make a career out of it or whatever. Like I'm trying to figure that that magic isn't my career. It's like what I do for fun. So like, um, yeah. I mean, 
uh, yeah, xwhale is the is the handle, and then I'm uh, just Will Kruger on Twitter. Uh, with there's under, there's two underscores because somebody else has Will underscore Kruger, and somebody else has Will Kruger with no underscores, and somebody else has a Will Kruger with an underscore at the end. Unbelievable. Somebody else has xwhale, and then there's also an xwhale NFT, uh, and like they have some xwhale handle, and it's like oh my god, this is just impossible. So whatever, you know what I mean? Like wow. <laughs> a highly competitive brand. Apparently, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, very you know normal like average-ish name. You know, it's a very popular name, and like apparently xwhale is too. I didn't really think that would be the case, but yeah, here we are. Oh, very cool. Nice meeting you again. Yeah, Thanks, Will. All right. Eighth place, Dave, your favorite, the Indomitable Creativity decks. There were eight, only eight people, 3% of the meta. But there, And there's a few sort of different versions of this deck that I just honestly didn't want to sort of break down any more than that. But if it had four Indomitable Creativities, it's in this pile. Great showing for these decks this weekend, 56%. So it did quite well. 56% is actually one of our one of the highest sort of finishes for our uh, non-other decks this weekend. I can't with this. I, I like I feel like the world is upside down. Cats and dogs living together <laughs> in harmony. Mass hysteria. <laughs> Tell them about the Twinkie. Um yeah, I I can't I don't understand. Like I I definitely saw online or, or uh, on Twitter a resurgence in this deck. You know, I am not a good magic player especially right now, but and I cannot I cannot buy a win with this deck and it was wild to see, for example, that um, Sky Bowerschmidt Sweeney won the Sunday Modern RCQ in Chicago here, the, the, the Nerd Rage event, the single elimination event that ran on Sunday with a creativity list that was extremely close to the list that I was playing online, extremely close to the Gabe Nassif list. Um, it's mind-blowing to me. People are really into this, and I just feel shocked. Now, Stan, you played against some. Yes, I, I played against it once. And it was, it was challenging. I, I, so I really think it's a challenging matchup for Rhinos, period. Force of Negation helps, of course, but they have Spell Pierce. They can side in Flusterstorm. They, they're not beholden to, you know, a, a CMC restriction the way I am. So they can actually have a much more diverse suite of interaction. And they have, like, these multiple must-answer cards. A turn two Renin Six can be scary because it essentially ensures that they're going to hit all their land drops and eventually start making dwarf tokens um and you sort of have to have a plan for ren and six whether it's answering it or knowing what you're going to do if you're going to let it resolve and again like i'm just talking from the perspective of the rhinos matchup but one archon on the board you can maybe answer with a petty theft because they cheated into play with creativity fine multiple archons on the board if if the opponent is like playing with insurance I just don't think that's beatable. So, yeah, I, I, I'm happy to talk about that match in more detail if you have specific questions. But I feel like this is a deck that continues to prove its potential and maybe demonstrates, if nothing else, that it's that it's a challenging combo deck that requires you to really understand how to navigate a variety of matchups to actually execute your combo and, and which positions are most important in different situations. Like, Dave, I... I I would even encourage you to keep practicing it because it sounds like I think with enough practice and if you improve your skills with it, like it could be a really powerful deck to wield that people win high level tournaments with. Yeah. The the biggest thing that's interesting 
to me about this is that there's so much innovation in the space, like we said, or just people trying out different things, different color combinations. But even within the teamer list, which seems to be the one that most people are kind of settling on as the best list at the moment or the most played list at any rate, there's a lot going on here. Like if you look at Sky's list, Sky had nature claims in the 75, had two transmogrifies instead of one, had a sundering titan in the sideboard along with an Emrakul as a second kind of creativity target for certain matchups pretty interesting stuff that people are trying just against different decks and so um yeah 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 i don't i don't know i i don't feel like i'm gonna go back to it but i guess i'm happy for the people who are into it what what, what are you interested in right now dave is there anything you want to play like shane and i are are horn dogs what's I've, I've been playing i've been playing rhinos too okay yeah rhinos and murktide it's probably still where my mindset is as far as these decks go for what it's worth. I also have Hammer, but I've just I've never gotten around to even tr- to trying Hammer really other than for the one episode that we did a while back. That's like it. a that's like a stand deck where you have to like just sit down and be like I'm going to play a league every day and just like learn some stuff with Hammer. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes yeah. two leagues. Ooh, this guy this guy plays. I don't know how you guys do that, but okay. I know. Do I do <laughs> Maybe I don't just go. Yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about the ninth deck on our list. With eight copies, three percent of the field, it's Yogmoth. Yeah, Yogmoth is here it. again. Yogmoth had one of the highest points per pilot, but it also had the highest win rate. Yeah, the 60%. highest win rate of a popular deck. Yeah, yeah, sixty percent with Yogmoth. And here's the thing: this seems to happen every tournament that we cover. It's constantly around tenth in MetaShare and around the high fifties to low 60s in win rate. How is that happening, and why is it the meta share not going up, do you think? Hard to play. I mean, it's it's you can't you can't just pick it up and be pretty... I don't think you can pick it up and be, like, even okay with it, right? Like, because there's... To get the edges, you have to, like, know every card in your deck, when you're going to use it, when you're going to Eldritch it, when you're going to cord for it, you know, think multiple turns ahead, think what you could draw off the top of your deck. How to beat hate... I think you have main deck answers to hate, but you have to be really creative on how you're going to outplay your opponent's disruption or like against removal piles. And I think because we have like some removal piles at the top of the metagame that they can make for a hostile environment that perhaps rewards the most experienced Yog players, but is really punishing to people who pick up the deck for the first time. And so people just aren't picking it up. I also think that there's a little bit of a story here where there's a lot of cards in this deck that they're not like crazy expensive, but they don't go in any other decks. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's sort of like if you get into Yogg, you can't easily slide over into, you know, if you have four color blink, you can pretty quickly have creativity, for example, or you can, you can, those, those pieces end up in other decks all the time, but Yogmoth is its own thing. So I don't know. But Props to the Yogg players who are still out there. Now, none of them made it made top eight with it, but um, they had the stats to potentially make it happen. Let's just blow through these last few uh, decks before we get to, you know, they had a seven, six, five copies. We have Azorius Control with seven copies or 2.6% of the meta, about a 51% win rate. You know, that's kind of Azorius Control-y. Jund, six players uh, still on Jund, 2.2% of the meta, a... Jundi win rate of 40.5%. Wolf. Then we have Mono Green Tron, five copies, 1.8%, a 35% win rate. That is bad. That's a bad win rate. I would not be touching Green Tron apparently right now. Then we had 
with four copies or fewer, we had about 36.7% of the decks. That's quite a few. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this was a pretty wide meta besides the the top decks, I think. It's, it's, a, it's a good looking meta, somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 15% for a single set of archetypes, 15 to 17%, let's say, for four color is starting to get to scary town, I think. I mean, it's not as bad as some of the worst metas, but like like Stan said, I think when you see this much in paper and you're like, dang, I mean, the price tag is not even keeping people from playing this deck and it's still doing 55% uh, with probably tons of mirrors and people coming, expecting the deck and having some kind of plan against it. That's that's pretty darn good. Yeah. Omnath's got to go. Omnath. That's your choice? Omnath and, and Urian, but okay. I, like, it's especially Omnath, yes. Okay. Wow. Too, mu- too much text on that one card. Like, how many fire design cards have been banned already? And how is, like, Omnath the one that's, like, quote-unquote, like, okay? You know what well, I mean? It's, like, cost like- four and has four pips of mana, you know what I mean? Like... Oh, but it also replaces itself and pays for itself in mana and is also like a threat that gains and drains opponents. I mean, I'm there with you, man. I, I, I think that card is kind of egregious. And and I kind of think it has a, a ticking clock next to it, too. Just like for Uro reasons, really. I, I, to me, like Uro has a different inevitability attached to it because it keeps coming back from the graveyard. But I also think they kind of impact the games in very, very similar ways. And it's just hard for me to really understand why one's okay when and, and the other one isn't. But. I think that's a fair analogy. But we don't have to go super deep on band talk, right? But it does feel like, I don't know, we have a long time until new cards are coming out. It's like six weeks still. They <laughs> probably won't do anything right now, but yeah. um, we'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. And maybe they don't have to. Like the the online metagame at, at the challenge level isn't being like overrun with four color decks either. But I don't know if that's necessarily the litmus test that yeah R and D should exclusively care about. Yeah, for what it's worth, poking around on Twitter. So ultimately, four color won this event. We should note number one, and we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, Zach Dubin was piloting four color, but also when I was looking around for other RCQ winners of all various sizes, you know, I found a small sample of maybe eight to 10 people who had posted up their modern. And I think three of them were four color decks. And then the other seven were just kind of other. And we can talk about those a little bit more in the cool decks ink area, but it definitely, it's just, it's always there. It's always there. All right. So cool. That is our metagame and win rates and things like that. So let's take a quick little ad break and then we'll head back into the top eight and other discussion. Gentlemen, you see me on camera, right? Once, once or twice. Do you notice anything a little different about me compared to the last couple of weeks, perhaps? The beard's filling in a little bit more? Your beard's got a nice shine to it. The beard is coming back. Even though it's August, a notoriously hot month, Chicago has been like kind of getting temperate the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And usually when it's really hot, I just maintain the mustache. But lately, I've been letting the rest of the beard grow out, which means it's time to start slapping on a little beard oil to keep it smooth, hydrated, and my skin feeling good. And gentlemen, do you know where I get my beard oil? 
I think you get it from a lawyer and a man, from barrister and man. <laughs> which which one are you using? I stick to the lavender mostly. Oh yeah, you're a lavender guy through and through. I, I forgot I, about I that. I just love that. I just love that lavender. And I I think I've said this before, but a couple drops in my hand, rub it up, rub it in my beard, in my face, and then the rest I just rub through my head and hair because my beard and hair are sometimes like close to the same length, and I just feel like. It's not greasy. It's not oily. It just kind of feels like this little refreshing layer of product that keeps me feeling smooth and comfy from chin to top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from chin to crown. And I've been using sandalwood Ooh. and Seville, depending on how I'm feeling. Have you I had will, any comments uh, from strangers about the sandalwood aroma? Not lately. No, I haven't. Although I will say... This weekend, I did get to spend some time. I spent time with Stan on both Saturday and Sunday because oh, I was with Stan dream. for the tournament on Saturday. And then Sunday, he came. He was nice enough to come over with his child and his lovely bride over to my house for my child's fourth birthday party. And um, I got to hang out with Stan's son. And Stan's son sat in my lap at one point and looked up at me and just put his hand on my beard and then took a big smile, big smell, and smiled. And he must have said this. Are you using Barrister and Man products? Exactly. It smells like Seville over here. <laughs> Those are his first words. I'm sorry yeah. to tell you, Stan. Did you use coupon code the Dive Down 15 for 15% off your first order from Barrister and Man? Why, yes, I did, young man. Okay. First of all, Shane, I resent that. My kid has a much deeper voice. <laughs> Not as deep as my kid, though. <laughs> that, that's true. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Um, <laughs> like, it sounds like we're doing a bit, but there's more truth to that story than, than you may realize. My my boy does love to rub beards. Yeah. And he he definitely rubbed Dave's face. Yeah. And, and proud we were of him for doing so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, check it out. Barrister and man, get some beard oil. It's, it is, tis the beard season. Time to grow that base coat. <laughs> get some oil in there to make sure you stay hydrated and smooth. And if you don't it's have like, a beard, there's other stuff. Yeah, you don't you don't want autumn to roll around and you just start like figuring out what length on your beard trimmer you want to stick to. Am I a two? Am I a five? I don't know. Like, start practicing now, and when you do, make sure you splash a little beard oil on there to keep it smooth, hydrated, and yourself happy. So I'm sitting here with none other than Norman Cohen, the owner of Nerd Rage. The, technically, you're the tournament organizer. Are you the founder, president, CEO of Nerd Rage Gaming? What's your official title? Norman Cohen from Nerd Rage Gaming. I think that's my official title. Um, I guess officially I would be, yes, owner, founder, president, I don't know, janitor. <laughs> Pretty much everything. You are actually wearing 20 hats right now, and that explains why. That is correct. Yes, all the hats. Yeah. All the hats are right here. It's the end of the tournament, or it's the end of the Swiss. We're in the final round. We're waiting for standings and then top eight. How do you think today's tournament went on the spectrum of Nerd Rage trials? Um, from everything I hear from the judge staff, I think that everything um, has been really smooth. Um, I haven't heard of anything, um, you know, that, that's caught anyone off guard. I feel like the stream went well today. Um, viewership was decent, uh, solid pretty much all day long. Um, so I think overall it, it, it 
it's been a really successful weekend or day so far. I was listening to people talk about driving here from Canada. I was hearing people talk about coming here from Florida and California. Did you ever imagine that the Nerd Rage series would get to that level of national recognition where people are coming from different time zones to compete on the on the series? Um, yes. Uh, it was definitely a goal of ours. Um, you know, Star City Games has definitely kind of set the bar and kind of laid the foundation and, and the road work for tournament series. Um, and you know, we've definitely used that as uh, a guide and a barometer to where we want the NRG series to go. So, absolutely, we, we've we've wanted to get to the point where, you know, people circled these weekends on their calendar and made sure that, uh, you know, to attend. What did it take to get here? Because I- I've seen Nerd Rage grow over the years. This is not my first tournament first post-pandemic but i remember playing in some smaller rooms i want to say in like madison or milwaukee and now we've got 300 people here a weekend of tournaments side events going on i saw another game maker selling their game what does it take to do what you do as a to to kind of grow this thing organically and, and build that kind of hype um I would say three main things. Um, a lot of patience. Uh, it's been seven years, uh, so a lot of patience. Um, we absolutely can't do any of it without the player base. Uh, you know, the player support is critical, um, and uh, that that in and of itself has allowed us to continue to grow. And uh, probably the last thing is just the staff that I've been so unbelievably fortunate to put around myself uh, who honestly know infinitely more about this game and and this business than I do. Um, I've just been really, really fortunate to get really good people behind me that have kind of bought into the dream and um, really helped us to succeed. Norm, do you ever play Magic? I do. I do. Uh, I, I, you can probably catch me, uh, old man NRG, on arena from about uh, 6, 6.30 a.m. to like 7.15 a.m. about probably about five mornings a week. Yeah. What do you like to play on arena? They've got so many formats now. Where, where's your expertise? I, I really enjoy drafting, so I do draft uh, usually whatever the current set is for as long as my arena money will allow me or uh, or until I, I feel like I've drafted enough. Um, and then I'll usually just build a deck. I think right now I'm, I'm concentrating more on Explorer just because I feel like that is going to ultimately morph into Pioneer, and that, that's you know what I would like to be playing. What deck or decks do you like to play in Explorer? I am currently playing a uh, fight rigging deck, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Yeah. In terms of the series, you know, right now it's mostly a Midwestern circuit. When do you think it can expand beyond this region? Is, is there East Coast or West Coast or even, you know, Denver and Mountain Time tournaments on the horizon? 
Not currently. And a lot of it just comes down to, honestly, dollars and cents. Um, I think any time, right now, our radius, I believe, is like a six to eight hour drive. Um, I think any time you start looking at putting a large group of staff uh, and supplies on an airplane, I think it becomes very difficult to make it financially viable. And I think ultimately that's probably what Star City Games and Channel Fireball and and the other uh, large tournament organizers kind of figured out over the years is that, you know, the radius kind of has to make sense because, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, it still is a business and you, ha- you, you have to be able to, you know, be profitable at some level. I mean that's that's how you pay your staff, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think I think what a lot of players uh, don't realize is is really how expensive these events can be. Um, you know, a lot of players uh, will look at a fifteen thousand dollar prize pool for the weekend, and you know, start crunching the numbers and say, oh, they've got five hundred players or whatever over the course of the weekend. They made X amount of dollars. I think what a lot of Uh, players don't realize is that beyond uh, the prize pool the the cost of the judges and the the hotel rooms and the ballrooms and everything else it really does add up so I mean I think I think our cost and and I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination but more educational than anything else this event uh, this weekend will probably end up costing us somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars when when everything is said and done. Wow, it's not a cash. <laughs> it, it like I said, we can't do it without the player base, right. and and at the end of the day, they have supported us beyond our wildest dreams. So it's been amazing. So. It, it, is that the average price tag or is this considered like one of the bigger weekends or, you know, are, are other cities, for instance, like the next one is St. Louis, just, you know, we don't have to get into specific numbers, but is, is doing a tournament in the St. Louis area more expensive, less expensive than the Chicago area? And are those the type of calculations you have to make when you're picking the destinations on the tour? Yes. So, um, generally speaking, um, you know, judge staff costs are about the same no matter where you are. Um, hotel rooms, approximately the same. The big uh, variable would be the cost of the play space itself. Um, believe it or not, this particular play space uh, we've been working with for a, a long time and actually is one of the more cost effective places for us to do an event. In addition, most of my staff lives within 15 minutes of here, so we get to sleep in our own bed, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so this is actually a little more cost-effective than most other uh, venues. So we've had Zach Allen on a few times, current uh, leaderboard leader, I believe. And whenever we talk to him about energy, he is passionate, if not effusive, about how much he loves the series. And, of course... You have your biases, but, you know, for people who are listening and could theoretically drive or, or attend one of the, the events on the tour, 
what would you tell someone to try to encourage them about this event? Like, what do people maybe not realize just from watching the stream or, or reading about the coverage or just, you know, what they hear on podcasts? I, I would say that um, I believe it was the last event uh, we had. We, we were kind of, myself and the staff, we were kind of doing a dinner, a debrief, and someone had mentioned um, that a number of players had come, come up to them and, and just talked about, uh, actually, I, I take that back. It was on social media. We saw a lot of social media posts about just the culture and the feel of the events themselves were different and different than what they had experienced at, at other events. Um, internally within my staff, we really try to cultivate a very family type atmosphere. Um, and I think to know that that expands out to the player base, uh, I really couldn't ask for more. When you're here, your family at the Nerd Rage series. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Norm, it is a pleasure to finally meet you in person. Love being here. Love talking about the tournaments. Certainly love being the official podcast of anything. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, and next one is St. Louis. What's the date of that? The last weekend in August. Perfect. Whatever Perfect. that date is. And do you remember the, the format off the top of your head? Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Yes. Actually, St. Louis, theoretically, on paper, should be our largest event of all time. It's a team event, modern legacy pioneer. It's a $20,000 prize pool. The winning team, all three members of the winning team, will automatically queue for the 16-player championship at the end of the year. Those three players will also queue, uh, get their RCQ bids for DreamHack. And then uh, there'll be a 5K modern event on Sunday. Uh, so it should be, we're, we're really looking forward to it. And with regards to the Dive Down being the podcast, we are absolutely thrilled. Uh, love, love knowing that our players and just the Magic community has a dedicated place that they can go to pre-event weekend, post-event weekend to get the breakdown, to get the information. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. Indeed it is. Until next time, thank you, Norman. Thank you very much. So great to be working with uh, him and the NRG people. So we're heading into the top eight, like we mentioned. And here is our top eight at uh, 7 0 and 2. We had uh, Quang Vu on Amulet Titan. Again, he had the single Krasis main, the four cavern main, a couple more Krasis, and Inferno Titan in the side, and a single island in the side because why not? Cast a Krasis yep. under, under Blood Moon if you get a forest and, a, and an island, right? I mean, yeah, go for it. Uh, second place, 7 0 and 2, Robert Hayes on four color Traverse Elementals featuring Yorian. Third place, Philip Euretia, uh, 7 0 and 2 as well on Is It Murktide? Pretty stock looking list. 7 0 and 2. Fourth place, 7 0 and 2 as well. Max Kaminowski on Is It Murktide? Also pretty stock. I saw that Max on Twitter. It, this is a Twinless Twin on Twitter. Uh, they began 2 0 and 2 with two unintentional draws early on and then just uh, one out to go to 7 0 and 2 and finish in fourth place in the Swiss. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth place, 7-1-1. One, and one. Mason Lang on Golgari Yogmoth. Pretty stock. My bad. Earlier I said I didn't think any of them made top eight. I forgot that someone did with Yogmoth with that 60% win rate. So that's good. Makes sense. Sixth place, 
seven one and one as well. Jack Potter on Amulet Titan, pretty stock list. Seventh place, seven one and one. George Jabor on Azorius Control featuring Kahira. They had two main deck days undoing and three chalice main as well. And then eighth place, seven one and one. Zach Dubin on four color blank featuring Yorian. Yeah, I, th- I think it's at least just worth mentioning that the Azorius Control player did have four Narset part of Vale, which is not necessarily stock in blue white control. So they did have like the Narset days combo. Yeah, I figured that that would be. I figured that would almost be obviious matching the days undoing. But you're right. Interesting. You should bring that up. Hmm. I also think we should, did we should terrible overall, yeah. but okay. We should shout out Citizen of the Nation, Cat Miller Granger, who went seven one as one as well, and it was ninth on Breakers. Sad days. Cat uh, mentioned this is the the second time this has happened. Yeah, at NRG events. So you'll get him next time, Cat. Yep. And then the finals were Zach Dubin on four color blink featuring Yorian over Jack Potter, also known as House of Mana, on Twitter on Titan in the finals. Um, pretty epic matchup from what I understand, but good. It was a good tournament. Interesting top eight, I think, with the double double Titans thrown in there. Azorius control, you know, some weird kind of decks made it in here with the four color. Still double Merktide. You know, <laughs> it, it looks like modern. This is modern right now. Um, I still think it's fun, for sure. I know people are starting to feel like it's stale. It's been a while since we've gotten any cards. Though honestly, mm-hmm. too, I know the power, the format's really powerful, but you know there wasn't a big impact from Streets of New Capenna, and there was pretty good impact from. I mean, that's that's one thing. I mean, Ledger Shredder was a pretty huge impact on a number of different decks in this format, um, and Kamigawa brought some cards to it. But you know, we didn't have a summer set, and so part of the reason it's probably feeling stale is because there hasn't been a couple of cards pop up to kind of turn everything on its head. That's coming soon. We'll see what happens this fall once the new sets come out. Yeah, it kind of feels like the last card to, or, or the last couple of cards to make an impact on the format were Fable of the Mirror Breaker and the Wandering Emperor and maybe March of Otherworldly Light. And Ledger Shredder. Oh, yeah, Ledger Shredder. That's for sure. It's huge. Yeah. Like, d- did anything else from SNC make a splash? Triumphs. 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 Vivian. Vivian is there a little bit. Yeah. So there's, there's stuff happening. We'll just see what happens. Um, you know, that, that there'll be a little bit of a stirrup when a next set comes out. I'm very confident. And I'm also super interested, of course, because the next set's probably going to be artifact theme, themed of some kind or another, either this set or the following set. So that's always fun when you have an, an artifact main set to kind of really mess things up. So, All right. You guys want to talk about a few quick cool decks, Inc.? There's nothing too ridiculously cool, so we can breeze through these. But I do want to talk about Daniel Kristoff in 15th place on... Merfolk. Yes, just Merfolk. But good for you, Daniel, for fighting the good fishy fight. I mean, is it really just Merfolk? Is it Lord's Merfolk and all? It really is. Yeah, it's just Merfolk, man. It's Merfolk. It's got, you know, it's got the new stuff. It's got like Tide Shaper and uh, Savellan, but it's really about it. It's got a couple subtly. Yeah. Blue stuff. Interesting. So, here's why I think this is very cool. I may have mentioned this to you guys, but every time I do a league, <laughs> like I'm paired against Merfolk at least once, it feels like this deck is very popular online in my sample size. And I'm always wondering like why we don't see it more often in competitive results. And here we saw someone, you know, do somewhat well with it. 15th place, 7-2, better record than 10 me. higher than you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I just think like Merfolk is an interesting choice in a field with lots of Merktide especially, because you can get wider than they are. They don't have Wraths. You 
um, make their engineer explosives really awkward post board, where it's just like not a really effective solution against um, creatures of lots of different CMCs. And then eventually, especially against Merc Tide, but in any deck where or in any matchup where you resolve a Tide Shaper, your lords just like swing in, and, and your board kills your opponent in one shot. So I think this this deck maybe even has more legs than like humans might in in this format or spirits for that matter. Other aggro disruptive creature based decks that have been on the downswing in like the plague engineer and now fury eras of magic subtlety helps with fury too right yeah exactly it's just i I think merfolk has more more legs than people may even realize some may even say it's got fins it's got more than legs they may have evolved into into (laughs) legs 51st place we've got steven murky on red eldrazi mid-range featuring obosh this is kind of what you imagine. 27 creatures with like Ragavan and Aldrazi Obligator and Matter Reshaper and Bone Crusher Giant and uh, you know, Reality Smasher and Fury and Season Pyromancer, three Relic Main, three Blood Moon Main, four Bolt, and then Lands. And, you know, you do some Obosh things. Why not? Haven't seen this deck in a minute, but it pops up all the time. You know, Obosh is still out there. Obosh. The somewhere. And then 105th place, we have Darren Magnotti on Mardu Zombie Bombardment stuff. This sounds like a deck that people would have tricked me with that said Mardu Zombies, uh, but it's essentially, you know, the aggressive and trigger-happy zombie deck. Uses Goblin Bombardment, Blood Artist, Mayhem Devil uh, to value sack zombies. You know, you draw cards with Undead Augur, get stuff back, three Obnixilis for some value sack options as well. Cool. Cool deck. Didn't do particularly well, but it is cool. Awesome. All right. So, final thoughts as we depart on this particular leg of the energy series. You know, a number of the people who were leaderboard folks didn't really get a lot of points this weekend. So, the standings haven't changed a ton. I don't so think we'll so. So, keeping an eye on that uh, going forward. But the um, any parting thoughts? Stan, do you have plans for additional tournaments coming up soon i guess you're you're going to be vacationing for a moment yes but you know i looked at the schedules of some local game stores around northern wisconsin i think i have one more rcq in me i'm going to try to make it up to the modern tournament at frost giant games in green bay wisconsin on august 20th wow yeah, I already got clearance from Control Tower. That's amazing. Do you think you're going to stick with Rhinos, or do you think you're going to go to something else for that particular tournament? What do you think? I think it would be foolish of me to switch up again. Frankly, I, I feel like I should have been playing Rhinos this whole time, and I got a little overly confident to think that Merktide was a good choice for me the last couple of tournaments. Um, and I, I learned my lesson, and I'm glad I did, and I'm I'm excited to keep playing Rhinos online, which is, I think, also saying something. Because sometimes, like, you know, you play a deck in a tournament for nine rounds, you kind of get sick of it. It's almost like, you know, when we were school-age and we would take an exam, and then immediately after the exam, like, we would just relinquish all the information we had learned in that class, semester's over, I don't need to know about geometry anymore. Um, I have that a lot with with decks and tournaments, and I don't feel that right now. I'm excited to keep playing Rhinos, seeing where else I can innovate and iterate if anything that was like maybe the most rewarding thing about this weekend for me is that like i made some choices about the build of the deck how to address the sideboard in a in a strategy that's been like 
fairly stock for a long time. And it felt like some perhaps bold decisions paid off. And I also learned a lot about how to navigate very important matchups. So if I have one more opportunity to to take a swing at qualifying for Atlanta, I don't think I can do a good job with any other deck as 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 well as I could potentially do with Rhinos. Awesome. Well, for what it's worth, I still have Rhinos rented, and I'm still going to be playing it online for a little bit, just because I think it's fun to play, although I haven't quite uh, exactly mastered a lot of the matchups yet. Um, and I keep losing to creativity online, which is, uh, you know, Murphy's Law, I guess. Godfather's Law. I just found that there's a store about half an hour away that has a modern RCQ in two weeks. Yes. I can I wonder if I can clear that with a tower. Yes. Perfect. What would you play? Oh, rhinos. Yeah. Are we a rhino pod now? Here's the right. thing. I mean, with right the- now in this moment, we are in perfect geosynchronous orbit around each other for the first time in 4 years. <laughs> it will not last forever, but Here's the here's a real thing. I've played enough of it where I feel comfortable and I feel like I'm not going to be as good as you, but I have I can I can generate a pretty good game plan. I feel like the sideboard is you know straightforward, and you know what what decks you want to bring in, like your four sideboard cards potentially. Have a game plan against it, and I can be better with it than I can with something like Hammer over the amount of time I'll have to play. As you know, I'm starting a new job, that kind of stuff. I'm not going to have a ton of time to be grinding. So anyway, we'll see. I'm going to try to try to make this happen. I need, I should I need to you know try at least once. I think you'll like it. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Nice and sweet. We had some tournament reports, we had some pivot tables, we had some interviews. This is like a perfect show. I don't know if our bits were good this time around. But. I, I think we're all a little tired after a long <sighs> weekend for a number of different reasons. And then we had some tech problems again. And uh yeah. Not no many not as many bits. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring the bits back. And the ones I tried yeah. were very good. That's true. All right, you out there listeners, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to our show, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, you can do that directly at patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. If you use promo code thedivedown15, all one word, you'll get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving products, body soaps, fragrances, and more over at Barrister and Man. Same promo code, thedivedown15, gets you 15% off your first order over there. You can even save some money on Paper Magic cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 to get 8% off your order. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play more RCQs!